Hello, and welcome to Co-op Cast, where game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly talk about cooperative board games. Join us each week as we break down one game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hello, everyone. And welcome to episode 12 of Co-op Cast. So today, uh, in honor of the Halloween coming up, we're going to review the Legendary Encounters game, particularly the Aliens version of the game. But before we get into that, I got a few programming notes I want to go over. So in two weeks, we're going to be covering Gloomhaven. I know we've been promising that from episode zero, I believe. We've been talking about playing it. But since the second print run's coming out, we're finally going to get to that. And we're going to be doing that with Colin from One Stop Co-op Shop. Oh, I didn't know Colin was coming back. That's going to be amazing. Yes, and I've been working hard on the broken token insert for that all day today as well. So I've got several hours into that. So I'll probably do a mini review of that while we're doing the Gloomhaven review as well. Yeah, Peter said he refuses to play the game again until it is nicely organized in a wooden container. That is almost true. (laughs) (laughs) And then in four weeks, we're going to do Pandemic Legacy Season 2. I have that coming. It actually releases tomorrow. A little bit of insight on when we're recording on Wednesday night. The release date for that is tomorrow, so we'll be picking that, and that'll give us four weeks to play that. And we have a special guest for that, too. Jason from Every Night is Game Night will be joining us. And or maybe Jerry, depending on Jason's availability. And to be honest, maybe we'll have both of those, and I'm not sure if Mike will be on, depending on if he plays it or not. Hey, hey, I, I didn't love season one, but I'm I'm ready for post-apocalyptic season two. That's my jam. Okay, cool. Well, I am looking forward to playing it with you in the next couple of weeks then. All right, so Peter, for those who are not familiar with uh, the Aliens franchise, why don't you explain a bit about the theme of the uh, four movies included in this game? The first movie is more of a survival horror movie, and the next three movies are more action-based movies where, you know, the difference in my mind is the first movie, they don't really have any weapons, and in the next couple, they're definitely prepared for the aliens, and they're coming full on, and it's more of an assault and attacking style movie. Well, sort of. Definitely uh, Aliens and then Alien Resurrection, they have a lot of weapons, but three kind of went back to the same thing as one, because... That's where they were on the prison planet, you know, and they didn't really have anything to fight back with either. Well, I should have remembered that because we just relived the movies playing through the entire series of four games. (laughs) So I I will say that the games themselves do a great job of reminding you of the movies. And I think that's one of the things we're going to get into later in our top five list. Yeah, don't don't, uh, give away all of our secrets right away. All right, Mike. So why don't you cover the rules for us? All right, so uh, I'm going to speak as though you've never played any Legendary games. At its heart, the gameplay is a basic deck builder in that you are uh, starting out with a weak deck, and over time you will add stronger cards to your deck and sometimes call cards from it. And this is an Ascension-style deck builder, different than a Dominion-style deck builder. Dominion, you have uh, a varied kind of offer in each game, but 10 piles of cards you can buy from. And in this one, you have one big deck shuffled together, and that deck is made up of four characters. So at first, you're going to be playing movie to movie, like Peter just finished doing. So, you know, you'll play Alien, Aliens, whatever order you want, and you'll have four characters from that movie, each with, uh, I think it's 13 cards, and they all get shuffled together, and you're drawing uh, from those four different types of characters. And they'll form an offer of five cards at a time that you can choose among to buy and add to your deck. 
Uh, you also always have sergeants available to buy who give two money. And they have uh, something that's kind of cool in this game, which is the coordinate special ability. And what that means is you can play that card on another player's turn, uh, only one per player's turn from each other player. And they get the money or attack from that card and get to use that card's special ability. And then the person who played the coordinating card gets to draw a replacement card. So there are lots of cards that have coordinate in the actual character deck, but you also have these sergeants that are always available. And in terms of the enemies you're fighting, you take three mini-decks, a first, a second, and a third objective, and you stack them, uh, you know, two on top of three and one on top of everything, and you mix in, based on number of players, a certain number of drones, which are fairly weak enemies that can make the game easier or harder and kind of give you more time to beef up your decks. And again, uh, when you first play, you're probably going to keep all the objectives together, so the first, second, and third objective for Aliens 3... But later on, uh, with both the character decks and with the objective decks, you can mix and match if you want to. So you can like mix characters from the different movies and mix uh, enemies and objectives from the different movies. You uh, each get a roll, which comes with its own roll card. And then you build a deck of uh, 12 specialists and grunts. Those are guys who give you basically one money or one attack. And you add your roll card to that. So everyone has just one card differentiating them from everybody else in their starting deck. And in terms of the actual gameplay, you have four phases. Uh, first, you have the Hive phase, where whoever's turn it is, because this goes, uh, each player will do all four of these phases, and then it'll be the next player's turn. In the Hive phase, you'll draw one card from the top of the Hive, and you've got these five locations on the board, and the Hive cards start on the right side, and they slowly move to the left side and push each other along as you add new cards. And if they get uh, past the final location, they come down to the combat zone where they start attacking you every turn. Or uh, sometimes have other special abilities depending on what kind of card they are. So you add a card in the hive phase. You do your action phase where you get to play the six cards from your hand, resolving your special abilities, spending their money, and using their attack both to flip hive cards. Because they start out face down, and then the further left they are, the cheaper they are to flip. Or to actually fight and destroy hive cards. Attack can also do that. Then you have your strike phase, where any enemies who are still alive in the combat zone attack you. And each roll has a certain uh, life capacity. And if they take damage from strikes equaling or exceeding that, then they are out of the game. So there is player elimination in this. And then uh, after you've done your actions and taken your strikes from living enemies in the combat zone, you go to cleanup, you discard all the cards you played, and you draw six new cards and you can start planning for your next turn. So that's basically it. Pretty much every movie, in fact, I think maybe all of them, uh, the final objective is to destroy some, like, big boss alien. But you must first complete the first and second objective, which are much more varied. Sometimes you need to set up sentry guns or find probes or rescue prisoners or all these other things. So it's a pretty good variety in the objectives. Well, and yeah, that's one of the interesting things, right, is you don't even know what your objective is a lot of times. And at one point, that even caused me a little confusion because you really don't know what your objective is when you first start playing. It just says, you know, set up sentry guns. Well, what does that mean? You don't know where to find sentry guns or whatever, but, you know, it becomes obvious as you play along in the game. Yeah, and I will say that fades after you've played through once, but don't think of this as a, like, story-based game where you're not going to enjoy it the next time. It's a very minor thing, like finding out what's going to happen. Oh, and one other fun thing that goes with kind of the theme is uh, there are these hatchery cards. 
So you'll get face huggers uh, that attack you sometimes. And if you do not defeat them quickly, then uh, you add a chest burster to your deck. And basically at that point, your character's on borrowed time because the next time they draw the chest burster, they die horribly. And one final thing, there is technically a competitive mode to this where uh, players can like play as the aliens and become an alien if they get chest burstered. We're not really going to cover that since that's uh, not in the cooperative mode. That's the main gameplay. But uh, that is available if you want a little bit of extra value with the game. And I want to cover one variant that I played with as well, which is the non-player elimination mode, which is when somebody dies, you can later heal them. You basically just skip their turn for a couple times. But once you get healing available to you, you can heal that character and bring them back in the game. Yeah, and this comes from another game in the Legendary Encounters series, uh, the third one in the series, which is based on the TV show Firefly. They had uh, a removal of the player elimination there, so Peter and I tried out taking it out of the Aliens version too. So you definitely won't find this variant in the rulebook, but it's definitely something I suggest you play because nobody likes playing with player elimination. Definitely not. All right, uh, so for those who have not heard our podcast before, we're going to go through our five most uh, interesting things about the game, our five uh, qualities from least interesting to most interesting. Some of these will be pros, some of these will be cons, some in between, and then we'll finish with our final thoughts on the game before getting into our design discussion for this week. So Peter, take us away with number five. So my number five is actually a pretty obvious one, is it's a deck building game, and to be honest, there's not a whole lot pro or con. You either Some people like deck building games and some people don't. So this is going to be a pro or a con based on your experience. I do think it does some things differently, but the bottom line is you still want to get the most expensive cards. You still want to call your deck down, basically taking out those starting cards you have. Card draw is always good. So it does have a lot of things that a lot of deck building games have. And I think if you don't like the deck building genre, I don't know that this is going to go too far out of the way to change your mind on that. Yeah, that's a good call. For mine, I'm going to focus on a a negative, which is the art and the component quality overall. So this Legendary Encounters series is somewhat uh, notorious for having pretty terrible art in a lot of cases. I think the Firefly art is kind of the worst of the bunch. But it's not much better here, uh, especially for someone who's a big fan of the movies like I am, especially uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Alien and Aliens. So some of the art is just like laughable or even almost offensive, like uh, Vasquez, who uh, you know is clearly a Latino character in the movie, looks uh, white in some of the pictures here. Um, so it's, it's really kind of odd. And then on top of that, the cards are really low quality and incredibly easy to mark, um, like to mark up the black. So uh, it didn't affect me hugely. That's why I put it at the lowest on my list, because I did sleeve my cards right away. And uh, honestly, I'm not paying too much attention to the art during the game. But when I do, man, it is not very good. Yeah, I will say that the art is not the best. But I also will say that it fades away. It's funny. And I think people who have heard other podcasts of ours in the past will probably realize this about me. By the time the game starts, I'm literally just looking at the bottom of the card just to see, all right, does this give me money? Does this give me attack? And maybe what is its special power? Sure, but I will say like some of the strength of this game is going to be the theme, as we'll talk about later. And the fact that the art looks like crap a lot of the time is certainly a knock against that. No, absolutely. 
All right, so my number four is that it is easy to play. And it seems like it comes up a lot in these cooperative games. And I think that's a good thing, right? Because cooperative games, I think one of the reasons people like cooperative games is they can bring new people into the hobby. They can play these games with anybody. I think this is a great pro for this game when you're talking about bringing somebody into the hobby based on the movies. Because most of the time, all you have to pay attention to on the card is how much damage does this do or how much money does it generate. So it's a really easy deck builder. There's only two resources available. Money is always used to buy things from the bottom. Sometimes there are special things in the game that will say you can spend money, but it's very obvious. And attack can be used for two things. It can be used to either scan the cards in the complex or it can be used to attack the enemies. So it's really a very straightforward deck builder. There is a little bit of setup involved, but as long as someone who's played it before is running that setup, it's really easy for new people to play. So if you have people that are interested in the subject matter, I really do think it's a great game to pull out, especially this time of the year. So my uh, number four is another con. That's two in a row. And this does go along with what you talked about, uh, Peter, with it being a deck builder. And I don't love all deck builders, but when I do like them, it's when they give you the ability to cull your deck and really make it lean and strong and focus on a specific strategy. And this game is incredibly light on uh, cards that let you get rid of other cards in your deck. Um, I think in the entire Alien movie with those four characters, there's only a single card, and I think there's like maybe three or five copies of it in the entire deck that let you thin your deck. It's not a deal breaker. I can still enjoy the game, but there's a lot of cards that aren't very good, and sometimes the headquarters gets filled with them and you're forced to buy them. So the fact that I'm stuck with my beginning cards for so long and stuck with these other cards I was forced to buy and not able to thin them can get a little frustrating sometimes and make me feel like I'm not really building an awesome deck and like making cool choices during the game. Yeah, and that leads actually right into my number three, which is this game can be swingy. And I think part of the reason for that is you're not building this fine-tuned deck. So you're always going to be pulling those starting cards out. Sometimes you get four or five of them in a hand, and so the hand is almost worthless. There are other things that can be swinging in the game too. The damage cards you pull out literally go from zero to five. So at some points, if your character only has like eight health, you could pull out a card that over half kills you with one bad damage pull. And so that's part of the reason we decided to play with the no player elimination is the game can be very swingy. Going back to the face huggers, if a face hugger is drawn, you put it in front of you, and only you and the next player have an opportunity to kill it. So if nobody has three damage, you're basically going to have that chest burster put in your deck. And as you said, there's no way to thin that deck, really. So it's really hard to get out. And so bottom line is, you know, if the next person doesn't have three damage, you've probably used all your damage already to scan the card that, that caused that face hugger to come to you. And so if one person doesn't have three damage, you're basically going to be eliminated from the game. So there's a lot of swinginess. So for me, this is definitely just a straight up con. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you on that. Uh, you mentioned characters several times, and this is going to connect it directly to our dis- design discussion later. But my third one, and this is another con, so that's three cons in a row. Doesn't mean I hate the game. We'll, we'll get to some pros in a second, but uh, three cons in a row. The third one is uh, the feeling of controlling a character and like having a character in the game, and also the way that the characters from the movies are used. So this is how they do all the Legendary games, um, Legendary Encounters, and regular Legendary, and I don't love it. Basically, there's uh, you know a deck of 
Ripley and Dallas or, you know, a deck of Ripley and Hicks and Bishop, whoever from whichever movie you've chosen. And you're buying cards of those characters, but you are not those characters. You're some random extra person. Like you could be an android with one special power card or you could be a a soldier with one special power card. But then you also have like this whole series of grunts and specialists with you. So it's really kind of weird, and it also doesn't jive with the themes of the movies, especially uh, like Alien, because Alien was this super claustrophobic movie with very few characters in it. So the idea that like a soldier is on board with this whole squad of grunts really doesn't work well with the themes of the movies you're playing. And then additionally, the characters you want to control, the cool ones from the actual movies, are not you. They're just random cards you uh, buy and draw pretty infrequently. So I really don't feel like I'm playing a character in this game. I don't feel like I get to like live and enjoy the characters I love from the movies. Like Peter said, they kind of just become cards, which is a bummer because these are movies I love and characters I love, and I don't feel like I'm getting to have fun with them. I totally agree with you. Although I will say the one thing they do to make you almost specialize down to one character is each of the characters have symbols in the corner, and a lot of times... Those symbols don't do anything, but sometimes they'll trigger other cards, and typically it's cards of the same character. So once you start collecting Ripley, for example, you typically want to collect all the Ripleys because you want to have that symbol on as many cards as possible to make sure that when you do draw one of those cards that needs a trigger, you'll have the other card to go with it. Yeah, now that is a good call. It's not It's not all bad. And, and again, the game has some good stuff going on that I'll get into in a second, but... It just was a little bit of a bummer that I'm not actually controlling Ripley, for example. Yep. So my number two is the cooperative nature of the game actually changes some of the deck building elements. So while my number five still stands, it is still a deck building game, I do think there are some neat things you can do in this game that you can't do in most deck building games. So for example, those coordinate cards. You may have a coordinate card in your hand, but not want to play it on the other person because you need the symbol in the upper left corner to trigger some of your other cards. Or you may have several coordinate cards, and you may ask the person whose turn it is, hey, do you need any of these symbols? I can play one of these cards on you. And the nice part is it doesn't hurt you because it replaces itself. So I think these coordinate cards do add another element to the game that makes it a little different than any other deck builder on the market. The other thing is... I did notice at some points the card row starts filling up with junk, and typically in a normal deck builder, I wouldn't buy that, right? Because that's hurting me and helping everybody else in the game, because if I buy a two-cost card, now I've got that card clogging up my deck, and all it's doing is putting another card up there for everyone else in the game to buy. But in a cooperative game, and in the cooperative nature of this game, I sometimes do want to buy a two-cost card if I only have two money sitting around, because that way it'll let us get better cards out on the headquarters for us to purchase. So I do think the cooperative nature lets you make decisions that you wouldn't make in a competitive deck builder. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but first for my number two, and this is a pro, so finally, and that is how they use the story and uh, the elements from the movies in the theme. And this is more in the Hive deck. Again, the character deck is not great, and it's not really going to, you know, make you go crazy with uh, love of the movies, but the Hive deck does a much better job. Now, I will say it's not 100% of a pro because the Hive deck is best for aliens and alien resurrection the more action-packed movies with lots of aliens, because you are always going to be fighting a ton of aliens with a whole bunch of people, and uh, 
that directly ties into Alien Resurrection and Aliens, where they were blasting aliens left and right. It doesn't fit as well for Alien and Alien 3, because in both those movies there was a single xenomorph, and here again you've got, you know, like 10 or 20 or 30 of them that you're fighting over the course of the game. So it's not a perfect uh, representation of the movies, but it has such fun little touches in the different decks. So uh, in the first one, you'll get the self-destruct sequence activated on the Nostromo, just like at the end of Alien. You can find the cat Jonesy in Alien, and if you save him before he falls into the uh, combat zone and gets eaten by the alien, you can add him to your deck. Uh, Same thing for Newt, the little girl in Aliens. You can rescue her if you can get to her before the aliens do. So there's a lot of, like, fun, nice, cool touches. Uh, They sometimes use money, as Peter uh, mentioned, to actually have you killing things and kind of shift up what you're used to. So I think they they have a lot of variety in the stories of the uh, Hive deck and the different uh, objectives and the different movies. And also just a lot of fun uh, theme integration. If you're a fan of the movies especially, you'll, uh, as Peter said, recognize things. It'll remind you of things and you'll have a lot more enjoyment with it. All right, well, that leads right into my number one, which is, I said, I think it does have a great theme and story to it. Now, I do agree that not so much in the character cards, although even in the character cards, the characters do things that they would do in the movie. If they were a combat character, they're going to be a combat character with their cards. So you you do see that thematic integration, although I think it fades away a little, as we've said a couple times. But the part for me that's great is the tension in the game. And I think that goes back to my number three, where the game can be swingy. I think because of that swinginess, and, you know, I said it was a straight-up con over there, but rethinking it now, because of that swinginess, it creates these tense moments. When I'm flipping over a wound card, I am hoping that it's not a five. Or if it's a four card, the four cards are kind of interesting. If somebody else you're playing with has a specific symbol, the four cards do no damage. So they're kind of saving you from taking that damage. So if I flip over a four, I'm like, oh my gosh, does anybody have this symbol so I don't take any damage? So... That part does create a lot of tension to the game. Drawing and not knowing if you're going to draw enough damage to be able to defeat these aliens that are swinging at you every turn creates a lot of tension in the game as well. So not being able to thin your deck, not having a perfect deck, and these swingy results, I think, lead to a lot of tension in the game. Yeah, definitely. And that's uh, one of the most enjoyable things, I think. All right, so for my number one, another pro... And Peter, I'm going to kind of uh, echo things you said, so I guess we kind of flipped our uh, one and two here. I'm going to focus specifically on the coordinate special ability, which is a part of the cooperative nature of the game that Peter mentioned. So just to explain it again, when you have coordinate cards, you play them on somebody else's turn, they get the money or the attack or the special power, and then you draw a card to replace that coordinate card. And you can do this once for each other player in the game. So if you're playing in a three-player game and player one plays, uh, is it their turn? Player two and player three can both play a coordinate card on that first player's turn. I love this mechanic, and I hope to see it in more cooperative deck builders. Like, I wish Aeon's End had something like this. Because uh, in deck builders, cards that let you draw to replace them are always great. They never have any negative for you because they just exist and then replace themselves. You don't have to worry about them. They don't clog up your deck. And the coordinate cards basically work the same way. Now, yes, if you buy a crud ton of them, you might eventually end up having so many that you can't play them and they just sit in your hand. But in general, they're never going to hurt you to buy them. So you have a lot more cooperation than I've ever seen in like any of these card-based games or uh, deck builders. 
because you have no penalty for cooperating. The game is actively encouraging you to cooperate. You get to buy things without clogging up your deck. It forces you to talk to each other and ask people if they want money, if they would like some help. So it gets uh, a lot more conversation than, again, just because there's not that many cooperative deck builders. Comparing it to Aeon's End, I'll almost always just do my turn in Aeon's End in complete silence and not even care about anybody else unless I ask them what I should attack with my spells. But in this game, there's a lot more dialogue going on just because of those coordinate cards. So I think uh, even though it's a small mechanic and a small special ability, it has a huge effect on the game and the entire cooperative nature of it. So to echo Peter, I think this is a really big pro, and it was my number one for the game. All right, so final thoughts time. So I really liked Legendary Encounters Alien, and most of it was reliving the movies. I'm not sure if people that never saw the movies would like it. Well, actually, I am a little sure, because I did play this with Nicholas, my son, and he really got into the story, and he really got into the, I mean, gross alien cards, of course, but... I really like that feeling of tension. You know, going back to my number one, I love the way the game makes you feel and it always keeps you on edge. And almost every game I've come to has come down to the end. I never knew whether I was going to win or not. And I love that in a cooperative game when they can get that tension just right. And there are ways to increase and decrease the difficulty. They say the less drone cards you have in the game, the more difficult the game is going to be because those cards are really kind of a breather for you. And so I really just like how this game, like I said, always comes down to the end. It's always a tense experience. And for me, I haven't seen the movies in years, but playing through the game reminded me about those movies. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. The objectives are done really well and, you know, they're ordered. So they come up in the order that they come come up in the movie. And it just does a really good job of bringing you into that theme. Now, I've played the game four times. I played through all four of the chapters, would I mix and match and play it more? I don't know. That's the hard part for me. So I really like the game, but I don't know that I would play it again because the story for me was such a big part of what made this game fun that I don't know that I'd want to play it without it. That's my thought. It's worth playing through at least once through all the chapters for sure. I hear the expansion is excellent as well. We haven't played that yet, but I hear that's really good and and adds more fun and variety to the game. So, Mike, what is your final thoughts? Well, I've definitely played the game a lot more than you. Um, I think I'm probably around like 30 or 40 plays, and most of those are solo. And almost all of those are with mixing and matching. And what I would actually do is I would uh, secretly choose the second and third objective so that I wouldn't know exactly what to focus on or what might be coming, which still gave me a lot of that uh, tension and surprise you're talking about. Although I will say it definitely... uh, vastly increases the setup and teardown time because separating out the four random characters you've shuffled together is a lot tougher. Whereas uh, if you just keep the movies together, it's incredibly quick to set up and tear down because they uh, they just stay together in one big deck. But yeah, I, I like this game. I think it's a very good cooperative deck builder. I've gotten a little bit tired of it after that many plays. Although hearing you talk about it, I'd, I'd like to play it some more again. I'd still recommend it to people, especially if they like the movies. I definitely prefer this one to the Predator Legendary Encounters, which added in a fully competitive version that I didn't have any interest in at all and had less content. And also, uh, although Predator is an amazing movie, Predator 2 is pretty terrible in my opinion, so I wasn't really as interested in the theme. 
And then uh, the Firefly one looks interesting, but I haven't tried that yet. The art is just too disgusting to me. Um, so I think this is a good one. If you uh, like the movies, if you want to get into a deck builder with a lot of theme, I would recommend this. Just keep in mind the art's a little bit ugly, and uh, you might want to take out the player elimination, as Peter said, because I definitely had some bad experiences with players where they got some bad luck and were eliminated very early and playing by the rules as written. That's it. They might as well, you know, go and read a book because you you can, and I've often done this. You can very easily still win the game after one player is eliminated. It's not like a lot of co-ops where the game kind of goes into a death spiral and you finish quickly. So if somebody's eliminated early, they could literally be waiting around for an hour while you all finish the game with nothing to do. So with those caveats and with those little warnings, I would say, yes, this is a fun deck builder if you like those kind of games. And if you like the theme of aliens, definitely check it out. You'll have a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. That's good to know. No, now I do want to go back and try by mixing the objectives and mixing the characters. I like the game and the tension was there on every mission. So it would be interesting to experience it without that story that I already know. So that'd be cool to try out. So uh, we're going to get into our design discussion now. And it does connect to something uh, I mentioned in one of my cons earlier, which is uh, how co-ops can give you the feeling of inhabiting your avatar in the game, like feeling in some way that you are connected to the character you're controlling or that they have more meaning and more life and more personality in game. Uh, So how games can achieve that, how games fail to achieve that, and whether that matters in general. And I'll start this off a little bit with just pointing out that I don't think board games are the best medium for this idea in general. We're still going to talk about how they can come close and have some success, but I think board games are blown away by two other forms of entertainment, which are tabletop role-playing games and video games. With tabletop role-playing games, you have full control of your character and their choices. You can really play your character whatever way you want without mechanics kind of preventing you from fully engaging in the personality you want to develop. So I think they have a huge leg up. And then, uh, you know, video games have the same or even more limitations than board games sometimes in terms of how you control and build your character. But the uh, the incredible effect of the immersiveness of the audio and the visual experience and also like the direct minute control you have as you move a character around with a joystick, I think tends to blow anything that board games tend to ha- uh, offer out of the water. So I just wanted to start off the uh, conversation by saying I think board games are in many ways one of the weaker forms of feeling like you are controlling a character and actually being a character. But all that being said, some of them do a pretty darn good job of getting close. Uh, Peter, what do you think? Do you agree with me that uh, board games have kind of a tough job achieving this? Yeah, it's definitely an uphill battle, but it's interesting because I definitely think if you've got one avatar, it's easier to get invested in that avatar and you feel like you can be that character sometimes, but I think it depends on the story of the game. I think games like Sword and Sorcery did a good job at this, and I think that's why a lot of people like that game. I think Alien, it's funny, even though you're not controlling one character, and it's really not even obvious who you are in the game, I still don't know who I'm playing in that game. But I think even ignoring whatever's on the top of the card, if you're just focusing on getting money and attacking and things like that, I think I'm still can get into the theme because there's a tenseness there. I think 
games like Mansions of Madness do a great job of getting you into the story. I think games like Arkham Horror and those you have single avatars. So I think that's an example of times where you have a single avatar and it does feel like you're playing that character. Games that don't feel like it, though, we've covered that that give you a single avatar are games like The Captain is Dead. I mean, yeah, I guess I have special abilities that make me want to do certain things. But if you ask me what the title of my character was at the end of the game, I wouldn't have any idea. So I do think certain games are better at it. I think it's easier if you have one avatar, but I don't know that it's necessary to have one avatar. Yeah, I'll agree that it's easier. And also, um, I think you were highlighting games that have like strong experiences I think dungeon crawlers tend to have the easiest time with this, and there's a few reasons for that. First of all, I think games that have you progressing a single character tend to make you more invested in that character and feel like they're more of a sort of a real person for you that you have put energy and effort into. So, you know, you brought up Captain is Dead, and yes, you can get, like, little tools and, uh, minor special power cards you can draw, but generally your character stays entirely static throughout that game. You know, or uh, if you look at something like Forbidden Island or Pandemic, you have this very minor special power that doesn't change you much, although it does give you some things you're better at. But besides that, your character is entirely stable. The game is a little bit, uh, you know, with the action economy and drawing a bad card, it's kind of like formulaic. You don't really have a strong thematic story going on. So I agree it's hard to get into a character. I was just going to offer a counterexample there, which is our game, Salvation Road. This is a game I've played with people well over 200 times now. And seeing people's reaction to the characters is pretty amazing. They're very strongly attached to those characters. And I think it's because their special ability really matches with their personality. And I think Vanessa did a great job with the artwork, too, really incorporating that altogether. So the annoying character, people really feel like that character is annoying. The the magician that always hides, people are like, oh gosh, you can never take that guy anywhere with you. So they just send him off on his own a lot of times. So I do think that you can have a game where you're controlling multiple avatars. And in that game, there's no progression, right? You're getting more resources that help you do things, but your character's special ability isn't changing throughout. Yet I think people do get attached to those characters. I've seen it a lot of times because people don't want to lose either of their characters, even though in the rules we say you can lose one and still win as a team. So I do think you can do it. I think you have to have a strong narrative background to that character and a special ability that really ties in with them. Yeah, and you know, um, I-, I thought about Salvation Road too, and, and sorry everyone, I don't mean to sound like we're, we're pushing our own game designs on you, but I, I think uh, something you highlight I, in Salvation Road, feel more thematic connection to my survivor, the character with a negative ability, and it sounds like you've had the same kind of experience. And I do think that goes into a natural uh, thing that applies to a lot of people in that we find flaws in characters more interesting. And you can see this in in almost all the movies and TV shows these days. Uh, Everyone's in love with the anti-hero and, like, having flawed characters. Look at... Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, you have people who are often making terrible choices, but we're still interested in them. And I think in Salvation Road, you have characters with flaws, and that's more interesting, you know, thematically and gameplay-wise, to have to deal with a flaw instead of capitalizing on a special ability. Another game I think that did an amazing job, even though the game itself didn't wow me that much, this is not a cooperative game, but uh, the original Android from uh, Fantasy Flight Games... Not Android Netrunner, but the uh, the sort of detective game Android. 
each character had their own deck of bad cards that were tied to their own flaws and like past history that the other players would play on them. So, uh, for example, there was a detective character who had a drinking problem. And I knew that they had these, like, alcohol cards that they could totally destroy me with and end my whole turn. So I, as that character, would try my darndest to avoid going into bars. And man, what a cool, like, feeling of living a character and making choices they would make when I have to decide, oh man, do I want to go into that bar? But I know I've got that alcoholism problem. I'm going to have a hard time going in there. I might, I might lose control of myself. Like, that game, through the flaws, again, more than the powers, but through the negative attributes, I think really achieved a cool uh, sense of realism with a character. And the interesting part about that, and this is something, you know, getting onto the design part of things, when we were designing Salvation Road originally, one thing we were worried about is that people would forget their negative ability. Because a lot of times you'll even forget positive abilities, right? But certainly if it hurts you... You don't want to think about it or, you know, we thought it might be easy for people to skip over. But you're right. Those negative abilities really get ingrained in their mind. And I think one of the ways you solve it, because in a cooperative game, I don't worry about it as much because everybody can look out for you. But in a competitive game, if people don't necessarily know what your negative ability is, I think it can mess up the balance. And so what you were talking about there, where other people are bringing out your negatives and it is leading you to have certain behaviors, I think it's a really neat way of doing it. Yeah, I only had a few more points to make about this. One, I kind of already said, but I think the more your character is differentiated from other characters, yes, I do think Salvation Road works with the single negative powers, but in general, like, again, in a dungeon crawler, I think they do this kind of the best. If your character has an inventory that is different, special powers that are different, level ups that are different, uh, health and defense that are different... I think all of that tends to put you into a role, like where I'm the healer, I'm the defender, I'm the beat stick. And I think when you have a role, it lets you get into that role and kind of make choices that fit that role. And that can really help you feel like you're living this character a lot more. You brought up Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, and I do think that game has an amazing story to thematically involve you. But I would say that the characters tend to blend together for me. So while I feel like I might be living in the game and like I might be having that experience, I do not feel like I'm my character having that experience. I just feel like I, the player, am having that experience, which is still fantastic, but isn't necessarily what I would think of in terms of actually inhabiting your character in a game. You know, you're right. That does remind me because both of those are perfect examples of where you can get into the game itself, but you're not getting into the role of your avatar. And I do think between Mansions of Madness and Alien, which we talked about today, they have that same issue where the characters themselves aren't the memorable part. It's the story you're living through that really becomes memorable. So is this a bad thing, though? Like, if you don't remember your character at the end of the game, like, if the story is good enough without it, is that enough? Oh, 100%. But, man, I would love to play a co-op where I got both. Can you think of one? Yeah, I mean, the closest I got, I did make a list. I would say Dungeon Crawlers probably come the closest for me. Uh, Descent with the Road to Legend app, because it has the Mansions of Madness sort of app stuff that has uh, audio and narrative descriptions that make me feel like I'm more in the game. But at the same time, my character is very different and has very different powers and has a great miniature to represent him, so I can feel like I'm kind of playing that role. 
And similar thing for Sword and Sorcery, I feel uh, kind of the same way. So probably those two would be the best for me, where I feel like I'm having a fun experience, getting to read a lot of flavor text, but at the same time I have a very unique character that I have to control and make decisions based on instead of just being myself in the game. Those would be the closest I can think of. Well, I'm going to go to one of your favorites, which is Arkham Heart of the Card Game. Every character in that game feels very different from each other, and yet the story itself is very different and interesting as well. Yeah, that, that was my honorable mention. Um, the one thing that kind of takes me out, and I think this is something that's going to affect any games that are trying to be highly thematic, if the rules are very crunchy and the mechanics really put themselves front and center, I think that can take you out of that thematic experience somewhat. You know, so Arkham Horror LCG, I love the uh, the hand management aspect of that game, but at the same time, I do think that it takes away from me being able to kind of enjoy and experience my character. And again, I think that's where uh, video games with like the simplicity of just pressing some buttons and moving your character around can remove a lot of that uh, kind of like smoke and mirrors of the mechanics and let me just enjoy my character. And I wonder if that's why I'm liking the latest campaign of Arkham Horror better. I think I was focused more through our first campaign, actually the first two campaigns, you know, the base box and the big box, on the mechanics of the game. And I really think the mechanics have gone away after playing so many games of it that playing through this latest iteration, I've really focused on and enjoyed the story a lot more than I ever did playing through our first campaign of it. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think the more comfortable I become with the game, the more I can just be like, oh man, this is freaky. And, and the new one is much more... I would say it's a bit more horror-themed, so more, at least, like, psychologically kind of scary. Right. And I enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. So any final thoughts on having an avatar in a game, whether it's necessary, whether it's not necessary? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's necessary to strive for it as a designer, because as we already said at the beginning, you're sort of working uphill anyway. But that being said, really the takeaway I would have from this conversation, and I sort of realized it from what you were saying is if you can give your characters flaws that the players have to work around, that's probably going to be your quickest in to get them to really think about their character more. Yeah, and a lot of games do this. They'll have not just a positive power for uh, your character, but also a negative power. And I think that's a great thing to try because, uh, again, working around those negatives sort of forces the theme to be in your face and can help uh, the game uh, be a lot more exciting. You know, uh, to go back to one you mentioned, uh, that's sort of a negative example, the captain is dead. I agree that generally I don't feel like I control my character much. But interestingly, the one time I do feel that I love that game and, and my character is a real thing is when I play as the hologram character because that character has major flaws to go along with his strengths in that he's limited to where he can go. And if the uh, computer or the teleport system goes down, then suddenly he can't move at all. And that flaw makes the character come alive a lot more for me and pushes the theme of a holographic character like in uh, Star Trek Voyager in my face. So, yeah, I I think the big takeaway for me is put some flaws on your characters and they're going to come to life. Yeah, and the takeaway for me is as long as you have some kind of hook in the game, whether it's your character itself or the story pulling you along – I think both things can be used as ways to bring players into the game. So either have a strong feeling of character or have a strong narrative within the game. And I think you'll get players who are more engrossed in your game. 
All right, so I think that's going to wrap it up. Have a great Halloween, everybody. Go uh, watch Alien or uh, just play some good games. And, man, I I am so excited for two weeks from now. Gloomhaven. Maybe by then uh, Peter and my second edition Kickstarters will have arrived. But in either case, I'm, I'm psyched to talk about the game after so much playing we've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to playing some more in the next couple of weeks just so we can, uh, you know, get even more feelings for it. Yeah, definitely. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Co-OpCast. We'll be back in two weeks to review another cooperative board game. Until then, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, if you like co-op games and why else would you be here, check out coopboardgames.com. They have some great cooperative board game material. If you want to contact us, feel free to follow us on Twitter at MVPBoardGames or email us at MVPBoardGames at gmail.com. And welcome to episode 11. Is it 11? I thought it was 12. Welcome to episode... I should have looked it up first. (laughs) Episode indeterminate. So you won't find this variant in the rulebook, but it's definitely... All right, hold on. I really like Alien, um, gosh, what is it? Mar- uh, Legendary Alien? Uh, no, it's Legendary I Encounters. Think, I think it's Alien colon Legendary Encounters, I think. I think it's Legendary Encounters Alien. That, that might be it, too. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just put those three words together in some order, and you'll have a title. Hasta la vista, baby. Oh, wait. I think that was the wrong movie.